Oh, hello and welcome, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. We've overcome some technical difficulties and we're back for episode 317. This is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. And with me, as always, is Shay the Subversive. Hello. Joe the Tech Guy. Evening all. And coming in from from a satanic venue somewhere in Noosa is uh, Brother Samael Demogorgon, otherwise known as uh, Robin Bristow. Welcome aboard, Robin. Thank you. So, dear listener, we're going to rattle through the news and politics and sex and religion of the last uh, seven or oh, 14 days, actually, and talk about various topics, things that are going on. But before we kick off, Robin's just going to join us because we've got a big event coming up on Saturday night where the Noosa Temple of Satan... Well, what are we doing, Robin? What's, tell everybody what's happening on Saturday night and what, why we're doing it. And what... Last year, we had our Black Mass at the junction and this year we reapplied to have the black mass and the council said no we couldn't have it there because of the threats that the christians had made to the staff that worked at the J, and so effectively they banned us from uh, using our spiritual venue and so so we're going to protest the fact that we're not allowed to have our black mass at our traditional venue and have it on the streets in hastings street this coming saturday and we're meeting there from 7.30 to start our protest at about 8 o'clock. And we're going to include events like a pet blessing. And then we'll be marching down Hastings Street and turn around at the park and come back to where we started. So it should be a fun night for everyone. Yep. And it's a legal event. We've got a permit. So there's no problem in that regard. So uh, that's all good. I'll be there. You'll be there. A bunch of people. I believe there'll be a film crew as well. So, so have a look on the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page for any other details that you might want. But get dressed up and wear something outrageous and it will be a fun event and then we'll decamp to a pub nearby and, and discuss all sorts of things. So that's the plan. All right, Robin. Well, because of the technical difficulties, we'll say goodbye to you and let you go. And, um, and sorry for all that mucking around. We'll we'll That's do a dry right. run next time. No worries. Okay, Robin. <laughs> and don't forget, we'll have transubstantiation happening. Yes. But we've got real body parts here. We don't have to rely on hosts that have been consecrated. <laughs> You're halfway there already, starting with a real body part. <laughs> All right. Very good, Robin. We'll see We'll see you later and talk to you later. Okay. Okay, mate. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Right. That's Robin Bristow, Noosa Temple of Satan. This Saturday night, it will be fun. I've got my outfit already, so I don't want to spoil it and say what it is. No. Uh, we'll probably, yeah, probably Facebook Live the event. So Great. With, with a handheld iPhone, so look out for that. Yep. Mm. If you're in the chat room, say hello and, and make some comments as we go. All right. So that was Robin. Okay, just to, it wasn't even on the running sheet, but there was the announcement of the government's plan mm. for net zero 2050. And this was then just another classic Morrison play of just announcing something without any detail and just saying we're working hard, we've created this plan, we're moving forward and all of the weasel words and just nonsense. Technology, not taxes. That's right. And the Australian way. This is the, we're going to do it the Australian way. Mm. I'm, I am so sick of this guy. Yes. I just want to vomit when I hear him talk. Yeah. And 
surely Australia, you've worked it out by now. Surely you can see through this con artist. If you, I was at a dinner party the other night and people were saying, oh, what do you reckon about Morrison? We're not so sure about him now. And I'm going, you're not so sure? Like, can you not see what this guy is? So, Still on the fence, you mean? Like yes. potentially might vote yes. for him? Yeah, they're saying, oh, starting to have second thoughts about him. And I was going, you're kidding me. <laughs> and so... <laughs> You know, and a news, a news poll came out today, you know, which party do you still trust with the economy? And, of course... I said the Liberal Party. Yeah, way ahead. I'm just... It's actually quite depressing. I'm it is of, depressing. I'm, I'm beyond it the outrage. Really and I'd really like... There is so much evidence in front of you now. If you really haven't picked up what a prick this guy is mm. and, a, and not even a smart prick, just a... Oh, if you haven't worked it out by now, what can we do? You're clearly just That's not right. paying any attention. That's right. It's it's sort of depressing. It is. So it's like one of those things where you just have to tune out after a while and go, oh, I don't really want to go into the weeds and the woods on this because I'll just get depressed the more I read mm. about it. Yeah. There was one good line from Chris Bowen who said, I've seen more detail in a fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> Sometimes a little comedic line sums up the whole thing. Why go totally. through and talk for 10 minutes when you can just sum it up with that? Yeah. So so anyway, of course, it's all going to – it's a bunch of weasel words relying on technology. And mm-hmm. they said, well, what technology is that? And it's, well, technology will be invented. Technology is always being invented. In fact, if you were to bet against technology, you would be foolish. So. Mm. So the course of human history is that mm. technologies will arise and we're just relying on that Yes, for a certain percentage. The and- Juice Media podcast has a big section on the technologies they're looking at mm. and the fudges and the it's, – it's another way to prop up the fossil fuel industries, the mm. long yes. and the short of it. Yes. Mm. By, you know, clean carbon. Yes. Mm. And blue hydrogen. Yes, mm. carbon storage and, yes. and, then, and just dodgy figures. You just cannot trust a single thing these guys say. So, and for mm. this, we got to promote Keith Pitt. Yes. <laughs> and Someone gets a pro- promotion for this heap of shit. And we're, we're being extorted by the <laughs> National Party. <laughs> We've just got a handful of votes. <laughs> and probably a lot of their voters want something done yes. on this regard. It's such... It's such a blight on our democracy. This mm. is not a democracy. No. When we've, we're going to have Barnaby Joyce in charge of the country. That's right. And we've been held a ransom by yes. these guys. Yes. The Matt Canavans of the world. This is not a democracy. No, it's not. It's something less than that. Mm. It's not a totalitarian state yet. But, it's an um, oligarchy. But you just, we're just kidding ourselves with the level of democracy going on in this country and a lot That's of Western right. countries. That's right. Yeah. So, Yeah. So what more is there to say except be depressed but be angry as well and yeah. and hope something comes along. There was, there was a question time with Milton Dick asked the Prime Minister Scott Morrison a question and I'll just play what happened there. Hopefully it comes through. Thank you, Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. When the Prime Minister arrives in Glasgow in a fortnight's time, will he tell the meeting electric vehicles will end the weekend Batteries to store renewable energy are as useful as the big banana and the big prawn, and renewable energy targets are nuts. 
The Prime Minister has... Mr Speaker, I, I don't accept the caricature uh, that the member has put forward. Uh, Mr Speaker, it's just simply not the Members case. on my left. It's a complete misrepresentation. Quoting his own words to him as a complete misrepresentation. It was, in the con- it was all in context. It wasn't stitching him up. That no. was how he felt about climate change. That's and look, right. it's well, fair he enough. He was the coal fondler in chief, wasn't he? Yes. I mean, and it's fair enough to change your mind on something. Like, mm. if you've honestly changed your mind, fair enough. If he came out and said, yeah, I said all those things, but you know what? I've changed my mind. But to just say, oh, I don't accept the premise. I, mm. You're reading it the wrong way. I've never really been against it. It just. That's the part. You know, it's okay to change your mind if you have. Mm. But you know, it's just embarrassing to think of some of the leaders who'll be at Glasgow and, and we've got that character turning up. So, And that might be mm. the thing to say, like maybe climate change isn't important to you, maybe women's mm. issues isn't important to you, but I guarantee you if there's anything that's important to you, Scott Marison is going to handle it the exact same way he's handled everything else. Right. Make an announcement. Yes. Cover it up. Not right. read the report, not do his due diligence, mm. and then take it. somebody else's crappy money. Spin it to his own so, political advantage and create a wedge if he can. Yes. And just with an eye to the election and winning power That's again it. is a whole purpose for being there. Yes. Except the one item where he will actually probably try and get something to done. Religious well, freedom. Back. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The one goddamn thing. Yeah. That he does care about and will actually force some legislative change. Jesus yes. put him there just for that. He did. That, of all the things. Mm. Yeah. So that's what we've got to look forward to. Oh, dear. Mm. So, um, yeah. Just a few things from Twitter. Amy uh, Remicus, she's from The Guardian, I think. She said, Morrison went on to say the government won't sign up to net zero without a fully costed plan. I mean, that's from a couple of days ago. And he's now signing up without any costed plan, which left me wondering how much the submarines he signed up for are going to cost, which is true. I mean, he just uses words when he wants to. Oh, I won't sign up without a fully costed plan. Well, I just have, but who cares? And mm. I do it all the time with submarines, but who cares? Yeah. Truth, fact, logical, just please be consistent. If you're going to rely on a certain premise, apply mm. it across different other categories where it's appropriate. No, just all out the window. Do whatever you like. Yeah. So Sky News reported National Party ministers have threatened to quit Cabinet if Prime Minister Scott Morrison fails to meet their demands and his net zero emissions target. And Adam Vance said, you say that like it's a bad thing. So that's true. If some of them would quit, that mightn't have been a bad thing. And, yeah, that's that. So, so that's climate change. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks. It'll just be more weasel words. I noticed, actually, I, I follow the Scott Morrison Facebook page. Do you follow that? No. <laughs> Basically. Not masochistic enough? I would just grind my teeth to dust and I need them. It's it's often full of stuff. If an Australian's won a gold medal or if an Australian's done something, it's, oh, congratulations, or if somebody's died, oh, so sad to see. And he just comments or his staffers do on his mm. behalf. But I get the feeling it's him. He's so jingoistic with a lot of stuff and, you know, all of his announcements. And a lot of the time it's just flooded with stuff. Good on you, Skomo. You're the best prime minister we've ever had. Keep up the good work. It's just littered throughout it in the comments. <laughs> but on the climate change one with his announcement, people have poured onto him. Like right. the Facebook comments, great, but it's by people saying, 
how dare you sign up to 2050 net zero? This is oh. the wrong thing to do. How dare you? How dare you cave in to the left? Uh, did you? <laughs> oh, caving to the left. Yes, it's all along that sort oh, of. Yeah. Some yeah. of this. How dare you give into the science? But did you hear about the sock puppet account? Sock puppets are fake accounts on social media. Right. That people use to comment and it not come back to them. Right. And there were a number of liberal MPs that were caught using sock puppets to comment on their Facebook feeds. Right, okay. And also on their Wikipedia pages. I saw that somewhere. Oh, yeah, the IP address was traced back to Parliament House. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, so he actually got heat from people, but from his crowd saying, what the hell are you doing? You've, you've turned into a pinko commie. You've caved into the left and... The only people making sense in this world are Alan Jones and Andrew Bowles. <laughs> Comments like that. And Matt Canavan. Yeah. So you mean Rupert Murdoch releases one bout of climate change positive newspapers and after years of bombarding us the other way, it didn't make a difference? No, no, no. His, his key columnists have all maintained That's the line. Right. But what they have done in the Murdoch press is they're pushing hard on nuclear Mm. they're really pushing for some sort of nuclear Mm. solution to our energy needs in the future. So lots of stuff about nuclear. They love the idea. Despite everything we said the other week with former New South Wales Premier Carr, was it? Bob Carr. Bob Carr, yes. Saying essentially nobody in business is interested in the nuclear option. It's too expensive. Yes. And and I was talking to somebody involved in the energy industry who shall remain nameless, and he was saying that... There's real issues with nobody wants to even produce solar at the moment because they just can't get their money. When they're trying to sell the electricity, they can't make a dollar because it's just a surplus of electricity being produced in the system at different times now during the day and they're sitting on excess electricity. Uh And some of the solar ones are actually selling it at a loss up to 30 cents a megawatt because there's a government subsidy of 30 cents. So they're they're actually willing to sell it at a loss because they didn't pick up a subsidy. So so that's interesting. There's a lot of there's issues with... There's also talk about households being taxed in the future, yeah. being charged for exporting electricity yes. at high peak, Correct. high, high we, generation. We don't want your electricity and we're going to penalise you for putting it in the grid. Which is to encourage you to buy batteries and store mm. it. But also... Any new system now, I believe in certain states, when it's installed, it has to have a a switch that they can operate at a central location to turn it off so it doesn't come into the grid. Okay, I've not heard that one. Yeah, that's what I heard with new systems that they can actually, you can't enter the the system now unless you've got a cutoff switch that they can turn on and off if they need to turn you off. Right. So, yeah, so interesting times in the energy market. And the other thing about... So who loses if we have a surplus of electricity? The, the suppliers Business. of electricity. Right. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah. The other thing the other thing about it is that the problem with the coal plants is they they can't switch on and off easily. They can't ramp up and ramp down. Like they just have to keep going. And that's mm. one of the the inherent flaws with them or problems is that um, No, no, it's a good thing. They're not flexible. It's baseload. Yeah, baseload. But that's the same problem with nuclear. Nuclear can't be turned off and on as well. It, so, so that's part of the problem with nuclear mm. is, is they'll have this base load that they then, what do we do with it? We, we can't switch it off easily. So mm. I was at a coal-fired power station a couple of years ago 
Mm. And they were saying historically, middle of the day, air conditioners running, it was their busy time, they couldn't afford any damn time, you know, absolutely had to be up in the middle of the day. Yep. They're now saying it's their maintenance period. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's no call for them. Mm. And this particular one was air-cooled mm. as opposed to water-cooled. And actually their peak efficiency is at night. So it's a good thing that in the middle of the day, solar, because they're less efficient in the middle of the day, they produce less electricity. Yes. So it's good for them to shut down at that, or not shut down, but reduce their running right. to just idle. Mm. And then at night ramp up mm. when the solar comes out because they're more efficient at that time. Right. And when the wind doesn't blow at night time as well. Well, so, yeah, exactly. According to some politician, they said that as well. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a Batuta advocate thing. No. That's real. That's right. You've got to look at things carefully. <laughs> Satire and reality. <laughs> it's it is depressing. It's Poe's law, isn't it? <laughs> Poe's law, is it? Yeah. It's Poe's law. Poe's law says that there is nothing, there, there is no way to caricature a creationist that is so ridiculous that it couldn't have been said by a creationist. <laughs> That's okay. So, okay. Shane, realise that you shouldn't underestimate the underclass. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. It's true. Mm. According to Pre Goward, they are damaged, lacking in trust and discipline, and highly self interested. But the poor is still a force that Australia needs to properly harness. So uh, she was some former sort of equality commission commissioner. I know or it's a worry, isn't and a, it? And a former <laughs> LNP politician of some sort. So, what do you think of that article? You, yeah, like you... I said, I was going to come in here raging, but I've had a few moments to calm down. But certainly, like from our, from my personal experience, having been you know, in a secure job for a lot of years, always thought I'd have a job, basically got my mortgage on the back of being someone who worked for Qantas, who at the, the bank said I would always have a job mm. to basically overnight, just like completely not having an income, mm. scrambling for any work I could, quickly worked at a furniture shop, that's part-time wages, that's 15 bucks an hour mm. with the hope of commission if you sell a couple of lounges. I worked my bloody ass off. And all the while, and for the past two years, I've basically eaten tuna and rice, mm -hmm. had to watch all of my bus tickets, had to really, I've had to be, a, I am such a resourceful, capable person now on mm -hmm. the back of all of this. So in some ways she's right. Mm -hmm. But it has been so hard every time JobKeeper comes up mm -hmm. to have people say things like, oh, but taxpayers paying for you and... You know, like it's almost like Australia's become like so mean spirited mm. and that the Liberals act like taxpayer money is their money and mm. it's almost like Australia feels the same. Mm. I like yeah, I was just like so furious. It's true, it's hard to be poor, but also mm. there's I, I think you can keep underestimating us and I think you can keep exploiting us. Because I actually still can't really see. It's a long road back for me to be financially stable again. Mm. And I'm not speaking for myself because there's heaps of flight attendants who we got stood down for a long period of time. Then Qantas was like, yep, yeah, you're all going back to work. And then they were like, actually, no, you're not. <laughs> so we were in secondary employment. We gave up our secondary employment to come back oh, because right. Qantas was like, no, oh. you work for us. You come back now. Oh. Then we all had to be stood down and find another secondary employment in the meantime. Right. 
Yeah. Like we are not sitting on our asses mm. and people act like we are and then they put shit mm. like this in the newspaper just to reiterate it. Mm. Yes. So, yeah, so the poor people are very wide and varied, honey, crew, mm. right well, now. Well, so she's... you're talking to all of us, a lot more of the people than you think you are. Oh, she's an expert on poor people. So, the, uh, you know, the sort of whole tone of it was, was really sort of looking down a nose at the underclass. Yes was the tone of the article. But the point of the article was that a lot of people have missed. Is she Including saying, me. Right. <laughs> well, the point was she says the good thing about the underclass is they can spot a fake at 50 faces. <laughs> no, because they keep voting for SCOMA. <laughs> and she said they were a significant part of the anti-vax protests. They had correctly identified the freedoms the rest of us had only been too happy to give up. And never have we needed them more to challenge modern meekism. The child who cried, look at the king in the emperor's new clothes, was surely a member of the underclass. So it had the tone of a sneering looking down at at the downtrodden underclass, but she was actually saying... The one thing in their favour is they're against they're against vaccination and they can smell a, a rat in this whole system. So it was actually the, a dog the whistle. The one thing they've got going for them is they think they know more than scientists who've spent, <laughs> yeah, literally their entire career studying a single field. Yeah. So, so it was actually also a dog whistle to the anti-vaxxers and whatnot in the community saying that... Well, uh, I assert that the people out mm. there fighting in Melbourne and mm. riding have never done a, a hardship in their lives. Right. They're small business owners who are living large and making it rain and snorting cocaine. I don't and know now what suddenly the... they get locked up. So, and yeah, you're right. That's pretty much... I don't know what they are. Certainly, <laughs> they seem like a fair number of construction workers in there and construction workers can be doing all right. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So. Who knows? Now, so that was Prue Goward and was there anything else I want to say about her at the time? Mm, no, that'll do on Prue Goward. Okay. Oh, do you want to talk about, while we're on the topic then of, of the poor, did you want to talk about the ex-Alitalia flight attendants? <laughs> yeah. Although I was actually kind of inspired by this story, so I was kind of taking mm. a different swing on it. Mm. So to give... The listeners, some background. Mm. What's the name of it? Air Altalia. Yes. Yes. Uh, are, we're in financial distress like a number of other airlines. And so they were bought out by ITA Airlines, mm-hmm. took some of their planes, 3,000 of their workers, and left the other 7,000 without a job and mm-hmm. renewed the contracts of the 3,000 to considerably less wages. Yep. Which is happening aviation wide. Yep. And basically, take it or leave it. The old company's gone, and this is a new deal, and we can just put you we on. We can do what we like with you. Yes, yeah. Because strangely, Qantas is playing the same game. By the conditions way, conditions and workers' uh, rights, uh, funnily enough, decrease um, over time rather than increase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So when you're a fresh employee, you get a worse deal. <laughs> that's right. As opposed to property prices and uh, things that work in the other direction, yes. time increase. So. Yes. So, so yes, so, so they weren't happy. That's right. So yeah. how many flight attendants did we have? So we had a uh, uh, hundred, was it? Uh, no, probably not that many. Dozens. It doesn't say. Dozens. Dozens of flight attendants got together and as a silent protest, wore their uniforms and then started stripping off their uniform. Mm. And then at the end did a, a loud, loud yell or something. Right. <laughs> 
And I don't know, I was, just, I was inspired by that because I don't know if this happens to men, but often mm. women will be photographed naked all the time mm. and it will be positioned for us. They'll say, oh, I got naked and posed naked for you guys because it's so empowering to other women. Right. And it's actually not empowering to women to see other naked women. Yes. And I just thought that that was a beautiful action protest of the fe- a perfect balance between the female form, which is a work of art, mm. and the fact that our bodies are also vehicles and po- possible communication things. So that's what I took from that angle. I took that angle from this. Have you got the picture up, by the way? I, I did have. Like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I wasn't really so that the- concerned with poor people. I just thought that was cool, really cool for a whole range of ways the action, the beauty of the protest, the artwork. Well, this is the thing. You need publicity. And True. if you're just going to fire off a press release and complain. Mm. Well, who's, or, or even a protest march. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Who's going to listen? Yeah. So this is you need some outrageous element in order yes. to gather attention. So, But I just still thought, yeah. like, they could have got, you know, properly naked or something mm. like that, and they would have got the same press. But I don't yeah. know. It was a real beautiful, almost poetry to it. It was art. Yeah. Go. So that's what I liked about oh, it. Oh, we're still talking about Lady Godiva. Mm. How many Who? years? Yeah, Lady Godiva. <laughs> why did Fill she? Fill me in. Why did she? What did she do? You never heard of Lady Godiva. She rode naked through the middle of town. Yeah. Why did as she? A... 600 years ago. Yeah, why did she do that? <laughs> as, a, as a protest, but I can't remember why. Right. <laughs> It, it was a protest and yeah, it yeah. got her attention. And was it, was it supposed to be that her hair covered everything or something? Or the important parts? Or like, yeah, but I don't know why Lady Godiva did that. But we'll, we'll find out before the end of the evening. And yeah, that was Anglo Saxon noble woman mm. somewhere between 1066 and 1086. And why did she do it? It's uh, a famous story. A, yeah. Oppressive taxation that her husband imposed on his tenants. So to oh. complain against her husband. Oh. As his chattel, she rode naked through the middle of town. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Learn something every day. Mm. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> James is like, likely never happened. Yeah. Almost certainly, but it's a good story. <laughs> mm. You said in your no- note to me, I'd like to discuss this at the next podcast. I'll talk a bit about third wave feminism. Is this Is this third wave feminism or... Oh, yeah, said, I meant to write it? an article, but leave it. Okay, we'll yeah, let that yeah, go. Yeah, all yeah, right. Because yeah, yeah. um, this is going to kind of like mix it all in with how third wave feminism is kind of like characterised as a confusing topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I looked and there's at, a whole range of things. Yeah, I looked at a few things. It looks like we're up to fourth wave feminism and I didn't even know it was third wave. Yeah, apparently. So. Ooh, we're, what's we're, fourth wave feminism about? I don't know. It's I'll sort have to of, do some research. It's just third wave on steroids. So what was... Did you write this or did I write no, this? No, this came from Wikipedia. So, oh, yeah, I was having a read of this myself. Yeah, somebody who wrote, who invented the third wave said, so I write this as a plea to all women, especially women of my generation. Let Thomas's confirmation, that was a Supreme Court judge confirmation, serve to remind you as it did me that the fight is far from over. Let this dismissal of a woman's experience move you to anger. Turn that outrage into political power. Do not vote for them unless they work for us. Do not have sex with them. Do not break bread with them. Do not nurture them if they don't prioritise our freedom to control our bodies and our lives. I am not a post-feminism feminist. I am the third wave. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go back. Protest however you want to. Like withdrawal oh. of 
services, labour, you know, what have you got to do to make change if that's the case? You think it'll so, work? Which part? Well, do you think they'll get their jobs back? Ah, no. Yeah. No, but it'll make people think about it yeah. and make people think, oh, that could be me and mm. that's happening all around the place and maybe we should vote for a party who's going to help people in that situation. So, But it won't actually get them their job back. I don't think. Or even better, to onionise. Onionise. Mm. What's that? Join an onion. Join an onion. <laughs> yes, join a union. <laughs> a, a union. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a very good correlation between working conditions and membership of a union. Yes. Yes. Well, in union... fact, the T-dubs just won a case to mm-hmm. reinstate thousands of Qantas workers. Right. Which Qantas is still fighting for, but right. so far they've lost. Mm. So it's a key difference in outcome there. Mm. And if they're saving money on their flight attendants, are they going to pass those on in ticket costs? Ah. It's too tough, the market. No, <laughs> maybe happening. Okay, back to the top. Where, where was I with the next topic? Uh, oh, just in New South Wales, they're really in the grip of the Catholics down there. So there's a, Crikey's been doing a lot mm. on a series of articles on how the religious groups have taken over New South Wales libs and federally as well. They've been doing a lot and the articles have been not behind a paywall as well. I think you've been able to access those yeah. for free and most of them on the Crikey uh, I website. I saw the video but I haven't. Yeah. Actually looked at. So a lot of their sort of God series they've been doing lately is very good. So have a look on Crikey and have a look at that. But, oh, they're making the point here. So with the voluntary assisted dying legislation, that's going to go to the upper house for an inquiry now. So that'll put that off for sort of a time delay sort of thing. And they really, in this article, paint an interesting picture that you've got Perrottet now, who's the premier, You've got the leader in the upper house is a guy called Tude Hope. I think it's T-U-D-E-H-O-P-E, Tude Hope. He's another hardline Catholic. And the article just shows the relationship between the two families where Perrottet hired Tude Hope's daughter, Tude Hope hired Perrottet's brother. You know, they're all working in amongst their different offices. They're all part of this Catholic group that was in with... Archbishop Anthony Fisher, who was in with George Pell, and and these are the people making the decision on whether the cemetery should mm. be managed by an independent group or whether the, the Catholics. Catholics should maintain control of the bits that they want to maintain control of. And there's clearly a conflict of interest there. And there was another article by Crikey about the Baird family. Remember Bruce... Bruce Baird? Mike? The name. Mike Baird. My Baird. His father, the actual electorate that Scott Morrison took over, was a previously a Baird electorate, and just how the family is interwoven with all sorts of people, particularly out of America, and it's just the interweaving of all sorts of people in power based on religion, and it's too depressing for me to read again, but Crikey have done a really good job and all that sort of stuff. So meanwhile, Christina Keneally says that no one is seriously trying to turn Australia into a theocracy. And she got quite annoyed at the people who have basically looked at Perrottet and gone, not another bloody Catholic. And 
This guy's too red hot. Like, yes. he's too red hot. We don't want him. And she's turned around and said, well, we can't just say you can't have somebody because they're religious. Well, the point is people aren't saying we can't have him, but they're saying we don't want him. And yes, which you, you actually can say. Exactly. Yeah. So it's democratic to be able to say we don't want him because of his views, which mm. we know what they are because he subscribes and to this. Wasn't view. she? She was a Catholic as well. I know that, mm. but wasn't she a secularist? She was more secular, mm. I think, than most, but she was still against the some of the abortion law stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, she says it's crazy to say that we're trying to turn Australia, anyone's trying to turn Australia into a theocracy. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it already is in many respects and they're just hanging on to it. So, so you know, they just, they really straw man the argument a lot of the time. So people have legitimately been saying this is unrepresentative of Australia. Mm. This guy has got views that the majority of Australians don't agree with, yet he is in power. And, and, and nobody voted for him. Nobody voted for him. And it sure as heck looks like he's going to stop legislation that most of us want because of his religious views. Mm. And she will turn it around from saying, sometimes I wonder if those who look down on people of faith and try to stop them from entering political debate simply lack confidence in their own positions. Well, nobody's stopping him from entering political debate. People are wanting to debate with him. And yes. the process. So the other thing is, yeah. So anyway, she stood up for Dominic Perrottet and said, back off. And-, and and again, it's not stopping them entering the debate. It's giving them more power than realistically the majority of society. You know, 90% of us don't believe in the same things that he does. Mm. If he starts in, uh, bringing in laws based on his beliefs. Yep. Then he's ruling for the ten percent, yes, uh, and not for all of us, let yeah. alone the majority of us. Yeah, I mean, we're having all this corruption stuff about Christian Porter. Who paid the money? Is there a corporate interest there that he's going to then be held on account to? We've had Gladys Berejiklian and her boyfriend, and a conflict of interest, and. These people are under a conflict of interest when they are so heavily involved with the church and a church is a major player in, in our politics, in our, mm. so, in our society. So mm. he may not be a shareholder in the Catholic Church, but they don't have shareholdings. It's as good as you get as, as being a shareholder. So it's relevant. And this relevant. is the best we can expect from mm. the ex-Labor Premier of New South Wales mm. who is, what, what have you got here? Deputy Leader of the Opposition in the Senate, mm. who's decided it's not good enough for her to be third on the ticket of the Senate and is now going to run for a House of Representatives seat, mm. which was just this hugely factional dispute. Mm. This is this is where her attention is right now. Mm. Yeah. On defending yes. the opposition. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Not 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 her best work. Yeah. Even even Michael West Media did a great expose on the JobKeeper rorts, basically, which saw $40 billion going to corporations that made money or paid bonuses to their executives. And essentially it showed how during the crisis, in the heady days of the crisis, the government was meeting with corporate power groups who were saying, Oh, got to keep it going. Don't put any sort of constraints on this. And and Treasury had sort of 
observed that there's problems here where we're giving money to people who don't need it. And anyway, the government has decided that it won't be clawing back any of that money. Like it could pass some legislation of some sort to say, well, you guys got money you didn't need, we want it back. $40 billion, gone to some of the wealthiest companies and the biggest in Australia, many of them foreign-owned. Hardly normal. And what's the Labor Party response? Oh, well, they're not going to stand up to the business lobby, are they? Rolled over. Qantas needs that 28 new aircraft. Rolled planning. over. Rolled over and said, yeah, we don't think they should be clawing back that $40 billion either. Fuck. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Ugh. There we go. It's Whereas, a depressing episode so far. Where, where, if you owe Centrelink money, yes. they'll hound you till you're Absolutely. Death. Exactly. Get the last 50 bucks out of you in a robo de- Exactly. Yes. Made to feel like I was just, you know. Yeah. Uh, my cap in my hand begging Australia yeah. to keep me alive. Yeah. In the chat room, Bronwyn says, uh, have a look at Andrew Lee, Labor MP for Canberra. He's uh, adopted it as a special issue. So... Have a look at him and definitely have a look at Michael West Media. So so good on you in the chat room. Keep chatting away there. Yeah. So the next article. Maybe companies should be paying a CEO tax mm. based on the amount they pay their CEOs. Hooray. Yes. Right. yes. <laughs> yeah. So Certainly Qantas crew would love that. I reckon there should be a different tax rate depending on how many employees you've got. Or, or maybe just a taxation in the di- the difference between the median wage. The multiple between the CEO wage and the median wage of the employees yeah. or something. Yep. Formulas like that. And also, I reckon just number of employees because I can remember we did something on Instagram in Australia or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they had like four employees, something crazy, because everyone was just outsourced on contracts. And so. Oh, so taxing on outsourced. Rather well, than well, a small business. Well, well inca- something to encourage people. So maybe turnover to, per employee. Yeah, something to sort of reward companies who actually do employ a lot of people as opposed to companies who have very few employees. Mm. Yeah. Because that's what we want our companies to be doing is employing people. So, But they're just going to say that they're very efficient. Yes. And we're going to say, well... That's fine. We're gonna, that's fine, but we're going to reward people who employ people. So if you, you don't get that reward, so... That might affect your efficiency. Anyway, okay, so that was the multinationals. That was Labor rolling over. Oh, (laughs) we had Christian Porter's blind trust. So so we had a situation. Blind trust or brown paper bag? Yeah, Mm. yeah. So we had a situation where there was a vote on the floor of Parliament about putting this to, I think, some privileges mm. committee. And the Speaker of the House, an, a Liberal, said there's enough of a prima facie case here that it should go to this privileges committee to be investigated. Not saying he's guilty, but it should go there. Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And they goddamn called a division, got everybody in and voted it down and said no. Apparently first time in history. Mm. <laughs> Parliamentary history. So essentially saying it's fair enough and for a politician just to get a million-dollar anonymous donation. 
supposedly anonymous, without having to declare it. Mm-hmm. And and the next day in the Courier Mail, guess how many words were written about that particular event? Zero. Zero. Not wow. a single word in the Courier Mail about it at all. And the Australian on page two had one column that would possibly have been two hundred words maximum. Porter funding probe blocked. Like a massive blow to our democracy. <laughs> Just no mention of it. Gone. Never you mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Who cares? No, no, no. I'm just thinking, Sir Joe. Yeah. It, well, it's, shades off. Yes. Yeah. This parrotate reminds me of Joe era. Really? I think. I think the pictures of him. Does he wear brill cream? Is it? Is, is parrotate got? He looks quite slick with his hair. It's that. <laughs> it's that whole fifties, sixties <laughs> yeah, sort of right, brill creamed hair type do. That just. That's what I keep seeing in him. Some spooky reminiscences of my father in him or something. I don't know. But, but that's part of what harks back to that era. So Maybe that's what he aspires to. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's right. Mm. And a big family because there mm. should be no social welfare because that that people don't have a big family to look after them. They're relying on the state. Yeah. So yeah. if we were to speculate about whose million bucks it was, what would be our worst case scenario? Like why is it so important that they protect whom donated it? I reckon it's going to be some dodgy member of the underworld who's been smuggling in large quantities of drugs. <laughs> I, just, I was going to say the taxpayer. I think it's just <laughs> going to be some, some money. <laughs> famous miner of some sort, I would have thought. Probably, mm. but I, if yeah. we're saying worst case... Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's true. We are just speculating. Right. <laughs> the worst case would be a drug smuggler. Are you saying? Oh, I'm just. Right. Uh, or Cardinal Pell, he wants uh, redemption. Uh, yes. right. yeah. Catholic Church. Yeah. 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 Twiggy yeah. Forest. Bronner yeah. reckons it's Twiggy Forest. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of rumours oh. going around. So. Um, God damn it, Bromham, am I now potentially responsible for your potentially defamatory <laughs> comment? No, no, it's, it's a rumour. It's a rumour. She's not actually saying it's Twiggy Forest. <laughs> there are rumours about all sorts of mining magnates. Exactly. And <laughs> thanks, Bromham. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there you go. Could potentially be liable for a defamatory comment there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, we've done the flight attendants, we've done that one. Roman did send the Ernie Awards through. Yes. So there's Ernie Awards, but basically for the best sexist comments of the previous year, and the gold Ernie went to Erica Betts when asked by Tasmanian speaker Sue Hickey if Christian Porter was the unidentified minister who was accused of rape. He allegedly replied, allegedly replied, yes, But not to worry, the woman is dead and the law will protect him. As for that Higgins girl, anybody so disgustingly drunk who would sleep with anybody could have slept with one of our spies, put the security of the nation at risk. We thought there. An industrial silver Ernie went to General Angus Campbell, Chief of Defence, who told incoming female ADFA candidates they should avoid making themselves prey to sexual predators by being aware of the, quote, four A's. Alcohol... Out after midnight, alone and attractive. 
Good advice there from General Angus Campbell. Is he a, is he a, um, is he um, a governor general or something yet? Or the, they normally get the gig, these they guys. They normally do, but I don't think so. I've lost track of my governor's general. Jeremy Cordeaux, South Australian radio host on Brittany Higgins, said, I just asked myself why the Prime Minister doesn't call it out for what it is, a silly little girl who got drunk. Ah. Here's one from Ricky Stewart, coach of the Canberra Rainers. He said, if I can't have tough conversations with my better players, I might as well coach netball. Did you get tough conversation? Tell me what's it like at a halftime chat on a netball court. Does it get yeah, it's, direct? It's intense. Right. Yeah. Who yeah. needs to pick up the slack? Who needs to do this? Who tough, needs to read the play? Tough conversations are made. Mm. Shay, pull your socks yeah. up. You're not Talk covering this person well enough. <laughs> exactly. Or, right. Exactly. We never had to tiptoe around the fragile male ego. No, no, no. Right. It was bang. There we go. <laughs> Ah, and then of course that was a joke, by the way. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we had Morrison. Uh, Jenny and I spoke last night, and she said to me, "You have to think about this as a father first. What would you want if it were our girls?" Jenny has a way of clarifying things. General Campbell is still a general and the head of the army. There you go. Mm. Protecting our young female staff. One advice. <laughs> okay, that's enough of the Ernie's. Colin Powell. Did you ever hear of Colin Powell before his death this mm. week? Yeah. So naming anyone after a body part, right? Yes. Strange guy. I mean, his first name's Colin, but he insisted that he'd be. He was Colin. Colin. Yeah, Colin Powell. <laughs> Military guy from the USA. It's amazing how much press it got. He about was conservative, him. wasn't he? He was, but in the end, he was anti-Trump. Though he did. Oh, good. Trump, so a never Trump uh, Republican, I think. But yeah, it was quite a lot of press about what a great guy he was in Australia and such an honourable man and all the rest of it. And even on things like the ABC News, you'll see, you know, Colin Powell, Colin Powell, American legendary general, dies amid a claim of what a great guy he was, essentially. Like, without going into the in the detail, but actually, you know what, maybe he wasn't so great because mm. he was the one who painted the picture at the UN to say that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. He should have known it was bullshit that he was sprouting and he should have said no and he didn't. He's got form on that regard because he was in Vietnam with the Milay, Milay, Milay massacre. Milay. And... He'd received a letter from infantryman saying there's an issue here, and he went, oh, no, there isn't, and, of course, there was. And what else? He was, a third thing, he was involved in torture. He was in meetings where they were tort- How much can we torture people and get away with it? And, and even with the gays in the military, he sort of promoted and instituted the don't, don't ask, ask don't, don't tell. tell. So, Although that was under Clinton, wasn't it? Could have started under that, but he was happy to keep it going. So so he probably had, he was probably a lovely guy to have for a dinner party and to talk about oh, things. I'm and sure. And probably, you know, would have taken your bins out if he, if he was your next door neighbour and you're away on holidays mm. and stuff. But on the really crucial things, that was his job. Sounds like Roger Rogerson. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> 
I just, I'm quite amazed at how much coverage, even on the weirdest of places. Like, there's this guy, John Dixon, who is this sort of pastor type guy, and he had a thing about Colin Powell and what a great man he was, and there were all these comments about it, and yeah, a lot of talk about him. So, and around that he would take the bins out, and it was a real community guy, or was it? More uh, yeah, about saying what a great guy he was, and what a great yeah. American, and what's so, so sad to see him go, sort of thing, without mm. any of the acknowledgement of the crappy things he did that caused the death of hundreds of thousands of yes. people. Okay, there we go. Tom the Warehouse Guy was also astounded by the Angus Campbell quote. Okay, what else have I got here? Nuclear, I've got some notes on. Yeah, essentially, I mentioned before, News Corp is going hard on nuclear. COVID. Doesn't exist. No. <laughs> well, that guy down the Gold Coast. Yeah. He's got COVID. <laughs> Who hadn't used his QR code check-in since in, in months? Yep, and was on oxygen and on or assisted breathing, so that they couldn't actually ask him where he'd been and who he'd exposed. Yeah, and and he was trying to fight his way and absconded from the hospital. Yeah, that um, was claiming that David from... was a hoax. What can you do? What you can't can... do anything. Euthanasia. Yeah. yeah. Dire Straits, did you read my comment on nuclear? I did Dire Straits. You said something about smaller suburban nuclear modular type stuff, I think. And Dire Straits, did you read, did you listen to my comments about nuclear a week or two ago, which said how expensive nuclear is, how hard it is to get up and running, and how nobody's NIMBYs. doing it, how it's NIMBYs. Not yes, in my backyard. Exactly. Yeah. So if they honestly think they're going to be deploying a little nuclear reactor in every suburb, yeah, you've got to be joking. Yeah, I mean, if the Scandinavians can't build one on time and on budget, how are we going to do it, honestly? So, yes, I did die straights, but I just didn't want to argue with you. But now I have. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> COVID. Here we go. There's a tweet by this guy, Jeff, who says... Holy fucking shit, vaccine mandates are calling, causing teachers who don't believe in science to quit, nurses who don't believe in medicine to quit, and cops who don't believe in public safety to quit. I'm failing to see the downside to this. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a sorting out um, process, isn't it? Now, you had previously poo-pooed nurses as being potentially a group of large, with, with an above average level of... COVID. Above average for medical professionals. Yes. Of sort of vaccine scepticism and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. A, a worrying amount. Yes. And before we started, you mentioned you saw some statistic that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was? <laughs> Which was that the Queensland Nurses Union has lost 4,000 members over mandating vaccines yeah that's and a that lot. they are and, going and across to NPAC who are going to supposedly fight the fight for them th yeah. this is mandating that people who are working with a at-risk population should be vaccinated not general mm. members of the public this is people who are working mm. with mm. sick patients who possibly have suppressed immune systems yes right and your mother wasn't happy with his comment was she? She wasn't. Oh. She thought it was, she thought it was, I think she even said that she thought it was ironic that we spent the first part of the session talking about defamatory remarks right. and then saying that nurses, that we made remarks about nurses entertaining pseudoscience. Okay. Wasn't supported 
supported How many at nurses all. are there are in, in Queensland? It's not going to be a small number. So what proportion is 4,000? So the Nurses' Union is the largest union in Australia and I think they have a close to 50,000 members. Oh, so it's 8%. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a fair number, isn't it? Mm. More than you would have thought if you'd have sat down at the beginning of the pandemic and said this is what's going to happen with nurses and vaccines, you could have got a lot of money betting against that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You could have got good odds betting against it. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. So there was a case. In... Well, I don't know if it means they just to answer Ross's question. I don't know if it means whether they did or didn't get vaccinated. It, there isn't I... actually a causal link there, but I'm just saying they resigned from the union. That was... Oh no, no. I think the question is at all any vaccines, not just COVID vaccines. Oh God, I don't have those. Mm. No, I don't no, have no. That kind of information. And, and, but I'm... but there is something I'm specifically. And, and I'm seeing a lot of. No, no. I'm pro-vaccine, just not this one. <laughs> But when you listen to anti-vaxxers, that's what anti-vaxxers say. Oh, no, no, yes. I'm pro-safe vaccines. I'm pro-vaccines in a spaced out whatever it is. There's always an excuse. They're pro-vaccine, but just not this one or right. not in this dose or not in. And, and So they're never anti-vax. Okay. Nobody ever admits to be. They've done their research mm. on yes. this particular mm. one. Yes. Mm. Uh, and so they're going, well, we're, we're not anti-vax. And you're going, you're using exactly the same tropes mm. as the anti-vaxxers use. Mm. Well, in New South Wales, a judge has dismissed two legal challenges to health orders requiring COVID-19 vaccinations for workers in New South Wales. Did you read the ruling? No. I've he, read... He's quite scathing. Oh, I've got some of his quotes here. We'll see what he says. Right. Mm. So the cases were heard in New South Wales Supreme Court involved 10 plaintiffs, including workers in health, aged care, construction and education. All of them said their employment had been impacted by orders requiring vaccination to continue working. Each unvaccinated worker cited similar concerns about insufficient long-term data on COVID-19, vaccine safety, and the side effects. And they used various arguments to attack the validity of the health orders, but they contained some common threads. They contended that the orders violated rights to personal integrity and privacy, implemented civil conscription, represented a breach of natural justice, and were made without clear legislative authority. And Justice Robert Beach Jones on Friday ruled that all those grounds had failed. And he said, any consideration about the reasonableness of orders should be undertaken by reference to the objects of the Public Health Act, which were directed exclusively at public safety. The judge found that if an order was made interfering with freedom of movement and differentiating on arbitrary grounds unrelated to public health, such as race or gender, then it would be invalid. However, the differential treatment of people according to their vaccination status is not arbitrary. Instead, it applies a discrimin, discrimin, namely vaccination status, that on the evidence and the approach taken by the minister is very much consistent with the objects of the Public Health Act. One of his rulings was that there were reasonable curtailments in freedom mm. given the pandemic and that there was an exemption granted to those people who were vaccinated mm. and therefore it wasn't forcing you to be vaccinated it was saying you could escape from the reasonable conscriptions on your movement yes if you were vaccinated yes yep and so that wasn't Yes. Coercing people. So a general restriction is applied, which you can release yourself from, yes. rather than a specific 
restriction is imposed on you. Correct. You are not being punished. Mm. It's a blanket ban on movement. Yeah, you've chosen not to avail yourself of the escape clause. Basically. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. So he was saying these are the very types of restrictions that the Public Health Act clearly authorises. So there we go, at least South Wales at least. Interestingly enough, I'm talking to my friends in the UK and they were saying that they think the challenges in the UK are going to succeed. Right. Because the health acts are not written in the same way as they are over here, Mm. where they effectively say the health minister can bring out a... State of emergency type of order? Well, no, no, uh, yeah, public health order. Yep. And they're saying basically the public health order is lawful because of this law that says... Yep. Kind of like speed limits. Mm. If you look at the law, it doesn't say this stretch of road is this speed. It says Ministry of Transport has the right to set the speed limit on on all roads mm-hmm. and that bears the force of the law. And, and this is much the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the UK, I think there isn't any such legislation. And so when they've said, you must do this, there's no legal status behind that. Mm-hmm. There we go. All right, we'll see what happens. Roman says there's a class action underway in Victoria. The group includes teachers, nurses... A surgeon and even someone who works at CSL, manufacturing AstraZeneca vaccine. (laughs) Of course. And they're a whistleblower who's going to spill the dirty secrets. Yes. Mm, Yeah. So what's the latest? Okay, if you are vaccinated, okay, clearly in terms of the community, having people vaccinated, I think the main argument in favour of it is that it clearly has a big effect on the severity of the illness in keeping people out of our hospitals and out of intensive care and therefore keeping the hospital's beds available and not crunched by uh, crazy demand. Like that's that's the number one reason, it seems to me, mm-hmm. in requiring vaccinations. It, people who are vaccinated, though, can contract the disease and the virus. Yeah, very much. Yep. And but does vaccination slightly reduce their chances of contracting the virus? I'm not sure. Effectively, yes. Mm. So it reduces your risk of uh, contracting the virus. It makes it less of an impact when you do. Mm. It means you clear it from your system more quickly. Mm. So you're infectious for less amount of time. So you can infect. So you could be vaccinated, double vaccinated. You could contract COVID-19. You could pass it on to somebody else. But the whole point is that the possibility of that is reduced than if you were unvaccinated. Yeah. Mm. So so anyway, you'll see people arguing on social media and stuff. Well, people who are vaccinated still get COVID. Well, yeah, they do. I'm not saying they don't. And people who get vaccinated can still pass on COVID. Well, yes, I haven't said they don't, but it's about is it less uh, a risk than if they were unvaccinated? But more importantly, if we're all vaccinated, then... The health system's not going to get crunched. That's the big one. What's what's the drink driving limit? Well, for an open licence, 0.05. All right. So if I get in a car and drive at 0.05, mm. I could have an accident. Mm. If I get in a, dr- a car and drive at 0.5, mm. I could also have an accident. Yes. So drinking less has mm. no impact whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, mm. you know, say it's a tenth of the, mm. of the rate 
Mm. It has an impact. It's not going to completely stop it from happening. Mm. But there is a huge difference between unvaccinated and vaccinated. And that's what people, it's not an on or an off, it's a reduction in risk. Yes. And, and wearing a mask is the same. Mm. It reduces the risk. It doesn't completely save you. Yes. Being vaccinated and wearing a mask. Yep. It's just a really shallow argument to just say, oh, vaccinated people still get it and they can still pass it on. Therefore, mm. we shouldn't be insisting people are vaccinated. Well, take into account all these other bits of information. If people have time, UQ are running a massively open online course on edX called AVAX 101. And it's all about how do we know vaccines work? Bit of the history, how do they work? And also why do people, why are people vaccine hesitant? Mm. And how do you counter their fears? Mm. And they did one on climate change denial which was very, very good, and I've just started the the AVAX 101. So is it mm. like online lectures, is it? It's online lectures. It's How many hours is that? It's like two hours a week for right. a period of about eight to ten weeks. Right. Mm. That's a commitment. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But it's mm. free. Mm. Um, and any time you, you want. At the moment it's sign up, and I, they're saying that the free access, you only get it for a certain period of time. Okay. So I'm just thinking uni's over next week. Yeah, and I don't know how many of the lessons are up, but it's it's worth looking at. The climate change one was up for a while. One was very, very good. Mm. And the videos are now up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's possible these ones will end up on YouTube. All right. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So if you want more UQ website, No, it's it's edX, edX.org, I think. Okay. And just look for AVAX, and it's, it's run by UQ. Okay. All right. One of the arguments as well has been, you know, just with lockdowns is you've got to take into account the mental anguish and the other deaths that are being caused to people because of lockdowns. So we're getting people mental health issues as a result of financial strain and other, you know, not seeing their family. And Mm -hmm. so the anti-lockdown movement would say you need to look at those flow-on effects of lockdown as part of your calculation as to whether lockdowns are worthwhile. And that's a fair enough argument. Sure. You should look at those. And if it was a really chronic case of of people in lockdown areas suffering enormous mental health problems at a chronic level, you would say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be locking down because of this. So Mm. anyway, there's an article by Alan Austin from Independent Australia blog and He says here, data released last week by the Australian Bureau of Statistics confirms that mental health actually improved dramatically in Victoria. So this article was a lot of about how Victoria compared to the other states. And of course, Victoria had much longer and harder lockdown than anybody else. So if there was to be mental health issues and suicide issues as a result of a lockdown, you would expect to see it more in Victoria than in other states. So... Total deaths in Victoria from all causes last year was 41,093. That's actually 2,851 below the previous year. So in Victoria, deaths from all causes were down. And in fact, in Australia, nationwide, deaths nationwide declined 4.7%. So, so overall deaths down in Victoria and Australia. Suicide statistics. So suicides in Victoria actually fell 
from 717 in 2019 to 694 in 2020. So, so suicides in Victoria are actually lower during the lockdown year of 2020 than they were during the non-lockdown of 2019. There was a decline of 3%. And relative to the population, the 2020 rate was the second lowest in the last seven years. So extremely low suicide rate in Victoria, second lowest in their last seven years. And it's interesting looking at the coalition versus the Labour. Right. Suicides. Suicides seem to be higher under Labour. Yes. Mm. Don't know if there's a a, a causation to that correlation. But just, just give him <laughs> like I'm tempted to, no. I don't <laughs> yeah, you're right. You could find this is when you look at stats, you could you mm. could do a chart and say, well, Having the coalition government's better for your suicide rate. Maybe. Mm. So, yes, more people in Australia sought suicide prevention help in 2020 than in previous years, but the author of this says, well, you could say that there were extensive campaigns promoting the services. So just because more people sought it doesn't necessarily mean more people were feeling it. If you've done a big campaign, hey, are you worried about mental health in lockdown? Go and use this service. They even made it accessible mm. to poor people. The poor people, the underclass. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> or more accessible. You only pay $70 or something. You were subsidised a bit for it to see a psychologist. So mm. suddenly mm. you're thinking, oh, well, I probably wouldn't pay $150, but I'd say pay $70. Mm. Yeah. So virtually all indicators of morbid anxiety and depression improved during 2020. Heart attacks fell by 9% nationwide. Victoria's was 14.3% reduction. So this is one of the other things is people saying – you can't get to hospital, so you're going to be dying of other things because mm. the hospitals won't let you in. So heart attacks and other things will increase because people aren't getting the treatment they should be getting because the hospitals are closed because of COVID. So in Victoria, there was a 14.3% reduction in heart attack deaths, which was the, leading the, the country. The question is whether people are not getting preventative treatment, mm. which will lead to long-term impacts. That's right. And so, that we won't see in the statistics. Correct. We won't have statistics of that for several years. Fatalities attributable to mental and behavioural disorders were down 9.9% in Victoria. Cancer deaths. The, the all-causes mortality, though, mm. has been touted by the anti-vaxxers as reasons why COVID doesn't exist. Yes. Because we've got very, very low rates. Yeah, we've had all this COVID around and we've got these really low rates of death. Yeah, they're, they're lower than they've ever been. That's right. going, but we haven't had COVID. Yeah. And we've been yeah. locked down, so we, we haven't had road accidents because we've not been driving around. Yeah. I know. Uh, anyway, cancer deaths fell by 2.4%. Lung cancers, fatalities by 4.6%. See, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Probably restricted probably be attributable to restricted access to smoking outdoors. Hard to say. No. In such a short time. Exactly. Maybe people are just happy at home with people and they ain't saying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm enjoying my life now. I'm going to hang on. So maybe people are happier. Well, there's, there's a lot of discussion about work-life balance. Yes. Yeah. So, but they're also saying that the problem with working from home is... <laughs> Yes. Good on in, your in, Incidents of anti-vax freedom fighting, freedom fighting nut jobs increased. Yes. Hey, one of the kids I went to high school yeah. with, I was on my way to uni last week and he was 
just getting out of the car and didn't have a mask on, so I recognised him. I said, g'day, insert name here. And I said, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, it's come down from Sunshine Coast to sell some silver, going off grid, I'm not going to be vaccinated. I'm not like, really? Right. Really? Sorry, sell some silver? <laughs> silver. He's not even using normal currency anymore. Right. So sell silver so he can't right. interact. It's just because he's not going to participate in the Marxist, what do you say? Mm. Marxist regime around yeah. communism and. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I thought, mm. yeah, mm. the incidence of anti vax freedom fighting has increased, definitely. Mm. Okay. Meanwhile, New South Wales had higher rates in Victoria in fatalities caused by mental and behavioural disorders, heart attacks, arterial disease, gastric and duodenal ulcers, and a whole bunch of other things. So New South Wales did worse than Victoria. So so there we go. In terms of the evidence so far, you'd have to say that lockdowns have not been detrimental to the mental health or... Mortality rates in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Mind you, if people haven't been going to get t- tr- tested or treated, it, that's a statistic that could show up in a few years' time. Yeah. Mm. Right. I mean, I certainly noticed working from home that I'd become a lot more sedentary. Right. Yes. Because, you know, the, the walk from the station to the office, the walk from the office back to the station, going mm. out at lunchtime to get food, whereas everything is now, yeah, 10 metre walk to the kitchen. Yes. Yep. yep. Or if you have an esky beside you with the billy, exactly. <laughs> you can just reach across and get it without even getting up. Jack H says, history of depression found my mental health improve. Easy to suffer alone with depression. Mm. Had something in common as we all suffered through last year together. I did remember seeing something like that, Jack H, where people in that situation felt, oh, you're not the only person to express it that way. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I haven't had to commute to work in a long, long time. But mm. I reckon if I was suddenly introduced to not commuting, I'd be a very happy compared to my previous existence. Like commuting sucks. So yeah. all these people have been able to avoid a commute and have mm. that extra time. All those rich people. So, well. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> yes. Well, let's face it, it is. The, the very working poor who are the cleaners. That's right. The hospitality workers. At first we were essential. Nursing homes. Yep. The, yep. All that sort of work which are actually essential and we need them to do it, still have to physically turn up. Mm-hmm. The rest of us who are doing white-collar work <laughs> who can, to a large extent, do it on the phone or That's on right. a computer have been the ones who have taken advantage of it. Mm. Yep. So... True, but the doll bludgers still work from home. Right, doll bludge from home. <laughs> mm. Here's an interesting one. I think we've previously talked about this sort of concept <laughs> with with transplants, organ transplants, and whether you should lose eligibility for transplants in certain situations. And we were talking about people who were vaccinated. Well, okay. We've got no beds in ICU or we've got limited number. Oh, you didn't get vaccinated. Well, we're not going to waste a bed on you because we've got other people who, who haven't, who have been vaccinated. And in fact, they've got a better chance of living now than you do. So you miss out on that bed and, you know, where there's limited resources. We're talking about that could be a problem for the unvaccinated in that they, you know, even a triage situation, they could legitimately miss out on a treatment in a, 
where resources are slim. So in Colorado, a health system told a prospective kidney transplant recipient that she would not receive an organ donation if she remained unvaccinated against the coronavirus. So the patient had about 12% of her kidney function left and they'd found a donor. And uh, UC Health told the TV station that studies had shown that transplant recipients who later tested positive for COVID had a significantly higher mortality rate, 18 to 32%, compared to 1.6% among those in the general population who tested positive. So, so if you've got a, a kidney transplant and you test positive, you've got a higher chance of dying than people who don't have a transplant. So they've got a policy, and they said that transplant patients were generally required to meet similar requirements before and after surgery, even before the pandemic. Patients may be required to receive vaccinations, including hepatitis B, MMR, and others. The spokesman told the paper in an email, patients may also be required to avoid alcohol, stop smoking or prove they will be able to continue taking their anti-rejection medications long after their transplant surgery. The patient, Leilani Lutali, told the TV station that she had learned of the hospital's policy as her donor was undergoing the required testing. She said that she worried about how the vaccines might affect her health in the future and that she and her donor had declined them for religious reasons. I'm being coerced into making a decision that is one I'm not comfortable making right now in order to live, Ms. Lutali said. Well, Jesus sent her a lever and, mm. and, and set the boundaries required. Yes. <laughs> Kidney. God, God helps those who help themselves. Who knows how much medication she's had to take and whatnot she's been on with the 12% functioning right. kidney. And now she says, oh, actually, not so sure about this and, and COVID vaccine. And so the immunosuppressants actually stop your ability to react to vaccines as well as to diseases. Right. And, and so they really want you to get vaccinated before you start the medication. So you build up the antibodies that are sitting there in your bloodstream mm. to give you protection afterwards mm. because the chance of you mounting a response afterwards is very low. And so this, is, this really is preventative medicine. Yes. Yep. And and it, you can imagine all the time they'd be saying to people, stop smoking, stop drinking alcohol, uh, we're going to give you this other hep B vaccine, whatever, a whole bunch of things where you just get to go, yep, give it to me, whatever, I've got to do. And My no. cousin has a very rare sort of, I don't even know the name of it, mm. and his kidneys are failing. Mm. And um, his dad said, I'll give you one of mine. Yes. And I don't have an outcome yet, but it's going to look like, they're taking it all in. His his health, his likeliness to live after the surgery. It's a major mm. surgery. There's a whole range of considerations, you know. And, you know, if you're going to have a kidney transplant, then you've got to trust your doctor. Mm. <laughs> they cut you up. Mm. <laughs> cut you up. Mm. Put somebody else's kidney in, but you won't trust them to say, here's what you need to do first. Mm. Mm. Weird. I, I, Weird. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of fatigue in medical professionals mm. who are going, we're putting our lives on the line. You're coming to us when you're sick. You want the help. But we're offering you something that's going to keep you out of the hospital and you're turning it down because you don't believe in that, but you believe in it when you turn up and you want a ventilator mm. and you want us to treat you. And 
to be fair, I I, I empathise with them mm. saying, I've had enough. You're not looking after yourselves and you're putting our lives at risk. And if you can't be bothered to do that, then I, I, I've had enough. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And we're either going to see them quit or we're going to see them going more and more refuse to treat the unvaccinated. Look, I can see there'd be fatigue in the medical community. I see fatigue in the podcast community, just, <laughs> yes. just arguing the points all the time. <laughs> just a little bit on Taiwan before we finish up. Did you hear about the the, Chi- the Chinese invading Taiwanese airspace and sort of running mm. sort of aircraft into their space? And it was a threatening action by the Chinese mm. sabre-rattling Sending signals to the West (laughs) and all the rest of it. And one of the things you've got to recognise in this is that they have these zones, which is called ADIS, Air Defence Intelligence Zone, ADIZ, I think it is. So essentially, let me first find this. Airspace is a concept in international law referring to a line 12 nautical miles beyond a nation's border. So that's airspace, 12 nautical miles. ADIZ is an area much further out from the borders within which a nation declares it has the authority to identify, track and control foreign aircraft approaching its territory. So roughly 20 nations have established an ADIZ and they define its scope differently. So the U.S. zone extends 200 miles beyond its borders. So the U.S. says, if you're going to fly in the zone within 200 miles of our border, we demand the right to track, identify and control what you're doing, even though it's not above our land space. Mm. So, so Taiwan's ADIZ covers all of the Taiwan Strait, part of the East China Sea, and a section of mainland China's Fujian and Xinjiang provinces. So there's a map that will go up on the yeah. screen. And so there's Taiwan, the island there, and there's China. And that sort of funny rectangular type thing is what they claim as their airspace. Well, the ADIZ zone that they claim they need to be told if an aircraft... So an aircraft could be flying over mainland China and the Taiwanese would say it's, it's an invasion of their ADIZ so there's a reference here to a tweet which was from the Taiwanese, I don't know, aircraft ministry or whatever they're called, showing where the where the planes came into their zone. And it was just the most minor incursion. They were much closer to China than they were to Taiwan. So when you hear about the Chinese sabre-rattling and flying into Taiwanese airspace, in quotes, just it's hard to tell exactly where they were and what they were doing and whether they might have been actually closer to China than they were to Taiwan. By so, the looks of it, and I'm guessing the red arrow is their flight path. Yes. They mm. flew in at a direct vector to hit the southern tip of Taiwan. Mm. And at the speeds these aircraft are travelling at, mm. you don't have much time to respond, mm. which is why they want the alert. And, and so a plane travelling... Northeast up the coast of China, mm. so what? Don't care mm. if it's coming through China, heading towards Taiwan. Mm. They want to know. Yeah, but but when you hear a report that says the Chinese had aircraft invading the Taiwanese 
ADIZ, it's quite possible they were actually within the boundaries of China at the time because the the Taiwanese ADIZ is such a broad area. Yeah, yeah, Mm. but looking Mm. at that, Mm. they were flying deliberately at Taiwan Mm. and and then turned around, Mm. and that is a provocative act. Mm. Well, true, but there's a lot of provocation going on. But it's all about putting it into perspective. Yeah, so... No doubt the Chinese were doing a little bit of... They would have known exactly where the so-called border was and they're just saying... Huh. The, the Russians were flying mm. at Scotland mm. a couple of years back. Right. And they were doing it deliberately. Right. And and mm. when you want to find out mm. the strength of your opponent's defence force, you do a lot of that flying up to the line to see how people respond mm. and, and what comes up. And The Chinese were probably doing the Taiwanese a favour, just testing them out. Yeah, yeah, helping him out with a little friendly exercise. Yeah, can you explain why we care? We care because the Americans are having finished one war in Afghanistan, Mm, got a lot of um, spare capacity, and there's the the industrial military complex wants budgets for spending more money on military equipment that they'll supply and. So a, a a new Cold War with China is exactly what they want because they can sell more stuff. So it's all about beating up the security risks because they can sell more stuff, essentially. Mm. Yeah. And you look... So uh, there's no actual threat to us. Well, well, and we'll get dragged into that yes. because we're the lapdog. Mm. And look, the China could actually consider... It would be considering taking yes. back Taiwan. But in terms of a military response, if they do that, we'd be crazy. Mm. We, they've done all the war gaming. The Americans have done the war gaming and said, what do we do if uh, China really does make a solid attempt to take Taiwan? Can we stop them? And the answer was no. Like, they can't do it. So really what they've got to do is use other methods like, okay, we'll get together with the rest of the world. We won't buy their shit. And we won't sell them stuff, and you know all that sort of um, economic sort of tactics is is what you would do in the event that China decided to take Taiwan. So you can also make it very very costly. Yeah, in terms of for the Chinese, for the Chinese in, in lives, yes. Like, yes. So yes, and therefore the question is: mm. Is it a pyrrhic victory? Right. Mm. Where you know, yes, you won, but yeah. So, but then it cost a lot of American lives as mm. well. So, so yeah, that's that's basically just bear in mind if you hear about aircraft incursions into area, it may not be what it seems at first blush. Mm. Right, I think we've reached the hour and a half mark. We've kept Shay out of the shark tank, and <laughs> now I am like I've made my notes for my, for my for my next little. Okay, so I had a book which was, what was it called? In the ruins of, oh, where is it? Hang on a sec. You got some hold music, Joe? Not to hand. <laughs> Trevor's the man with the... Um... That's true. So I, I, know, I know I promised a book review last week. And here's the problem. I was reading this book, which was Less is More, so by Jason Hickel. So he was really making the argument that even if we get to... Uh, 
net zero by 2050. The way the world works with capitalism is it needs 3% growth per annum in order to function. And 3% mm. growth means you're essentially doubling GDP every 23 years. And okay. if you keep doubling and every 23 years and doubling and doubling, you might have met net zero and carbon emissions, but it's going to get increasingly harder to keep it there. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of other things in terms of things to do with overfishing, soil degradation, species extinction, just deforestation that will just keep going because of extraction is growth, essentially. So he was really saying that ultimately in the long term, there's no such thing as green growth. You have to start taking growth out of the system because this sort of capitalism's imperative of growth means that as far as the planet's concerned, we're just going to keep extracting things in order to meet the demands of capitalism. So anyway, the problem was this book sent me down a whole bunch of other rabbit holes along the way. So <laughs> gave a really interesting expose of what happened because when you say, well, if I was to say to you, we've got to stop with capitalism, for example, mm. we'd, we'd, people would go, but hang on a minute, capitalism is what got us out of the, the dark ages, you know, the sort of medieval type of system we were under and it gave us all this great stuff. And so it put me onto this book which was basically describing life in the Middle Ages and the use of the commons and, and essentially the lifestyle of people and... Mm. I found it quite interesting, so I went down that whole rabbit hole. And then there was another one which, another rabbit hole, which was basically looking at when neoliberalism came in with Hayek and, and Milton Friedman, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. The whole point of neoliberalism was not just economics, which was get rid of government regulations, allow globalisation and... I think what the third one was. But a lot of the there, – there was actually an anti-society component in neoliberalism, which was, you know, not only is government bad, but the notion of society and the notion that society could compel individuals to mm. do things against their will mm. – um, is just outrageous. And so it was Very more than – Ayn Rand. Yes. And so – that's really part of where this whole there's this whole tension all the time between individual freedom versus the ability of the collective and the commons to impose conditions on people, which we're seeing all the time in this goddamn vaccination argument. Mm. And so he actually examines Friedman and Hayek and how they were very much there was not just economics involved, but there was this sort of sociological conditioning and indoctrination that the commons and society were bad and that personal freedom was, you know, in terms of hierarchy, far more important. And, and in actual fact, these people who are so pro-individual rights actually are not that democratic quite often. Mm. They, they would be happy with a totalitarian state mm -hmm. that allowed personal freedoms. They wouldn't care if it was undemocratic because personal freedom is, is the most important thing. And in fact, a democracy that might then impose conditions on people and restrict their freedom 
was is just evil. So mm. to a lot of people, the notion, you know, for libertarians and their almost religious sort of zeal for personal freedom, democracy is a danger. And, is, mm. and, and the thought of the majority imposing a condition on an individual is, is abhorrent to them. They'd rather a totalitarian dictator who just allowed free will and markets to apply and, and if he didn't get to vote him in or out, well, that's, that's okay. So, well, Thatcher quote here, I think we've been through a period where too many people have been given to understand that if they have a problem, it's the government's job to cope with it. Mm. I have a problem, I'll get a grant. I'm homeless, the government must house me. Mm. They're casting their problems on society and you know that there is no such thing as society. There are individual men and women and there are families mm. and no government can do anything except through people and people look, must look to themselves first. It's our duty to look after ourselves and then also to look after our neighbour. Mm. People have got the entitlements too much in mind without the obligations. There's no such thing as entitlement unless somebody has first met an obligation. Mm. So, so, and, and that argument has won through. Mm. And we've got Barnaby Joyce now, like he's, goddamn. But, but one would argue that the obligation is, certainly in terms of the vaccination, the whole freedom mm is your obligation is to make sure that you protect the other members of the weaker members of society. Mm. And mm. the obligation, yeah, conversely with the libertarians, mm. is to pay your way in taxes. Mm. You know, looking after your neighbour is paying your taxes and paying for those who are less fortunate. Mm. So, so anyway, I've decided on, on my book as a result of all this. Uh-huh. Yes. So, so... So it's really on this concept of, you know, the honeybee or the fruit fly. So human beings are honeybees. We're not fruit flies. Mm. And essentially the parts of it would be that the first part would be that we as humans have some hardwiring, which has come about through evolution. So my favourite topics of the whispering beta males and humans are a domesticated animal and psychopathic chicken story and all that sort of stuff is sort of hard wiring that we as humans have. And then if you think of it as a computer, and then the software that we have, our operating system, is our sort of a philosophies and moral systems. So starting off with uh, Homer and the ancient Greeks, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and and basically explaining how we've got that tension between personal liberty versus community the collective that's in different at different times in our history we've had different software and that 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 is a thing that we can change by decision if we want to Mm. and then just looking at well what has actually happened in terms of history and basically then looking at the industrial revolution and 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 neoliberalism and how that basically brought the rise of this individual freedom as sort of won out and that we need to return to an appreciation of the commons. Mm. And Did individual and, freedom mm. also come about from mm. the Enlightenment? Yes, it absolutely did. So, so, yeah, so all that's really interesting to figure out who was responsible and how we got there and, and, and still lay on top of that things like... Free will. I mean, the evidence seems to be 
that we don't actually have free will. <laughs> There's arguments in, in either direction. Yes. yes. But if you are, you know, a super rational person who demands the freedom of the individual in all respects as a first priority and that you're incredibly rational about this and scientific, well, you have to deal with the free will argument because if there is no free will, mm. then that personal freedom and liberty that you're talking about so much is actually a bit of a figment of your imagination perhaps. Yes. Quite tricky, that so anyway, because having thought about this, I sort of see it everywhere in these arguments now. Like the whole vaccination thing is all about that tension between mm. personal liberty and the, the right of the collective to impose conditions mm. on using the commons. Essentially, yes. if there was a libertarian island that these people wanted to just fuck off to and go to, well, mm. good, go. But no, yes. you actually want to hang around and use the commons? Well, we get to regulate it. Yes. And... You might think it's authoritarian, but it's actually democracy and it's actually mm. how we've been operating in our communities. And assholes like Barnaby Joyce are in Parliament saying, I'm sick of the state, the state and its interference and this whole... If you look at what's happened today and yesterday in terms of the argument for 2050 and net zero, zero Morrison is basically saying we're going to do it the Australian way, we're going to do it through innovation, we're not going to impose conditions on people, we're going to allow people to do their choices on this. We don't believe as a, as a, on our side of politics that we can impose conditions on people. So, so if know, they if, don't want to impose enough. conditions, mm. can I go and break into his house and take all his goods? Yeah, well, this is the point. All the time conditions are imposed. Be yeah. Yes. So, so yeah. So, anyway, I, yeah, I'm going to work on that. I think I need to do that. So... So that'll be next week, will it? Well, that'll be the start of it next week. Okay. Yes, there we go. So, so it's guaranteed to be less depressing by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, a bit more meta because we just yeah. get into the weeds on these most depressing things and be, oh, God. Like, <laughs> um, just, just as a complete sidetrack, have yes. you heard of the Kardashev scale? The Kardashev scale. Kardashev. Kardashev, no. He was a Russian something or other, I forget. It's about the amount of energy a civilization uses. Right. And so a type 1 civilization uses all the energy that falls onto it from its star. Right. And then you go type 2 and type 3, and they're saying effectively these are more advanced civilizations that are able to capture and use large amounts of energy. Right. Without yeah, resorting to fossil fuels effectively. What's an example of that? So they're saying that future civilizations right. will have huge amounts of energy yes. that is almost limitless. Yes. And so you were saying we're, we're profligate in our energy use. Yes. And they're saying that future technologies will enable us to yes. capture and use large amounts of yeah, energy. Yeah, but, but what Jason Hickel is saying in Less is More is, okay, you might get energy under control, but mm -hmm. if, you, if you are extracting um, all the time from the – you're going to run out of stuff to extract. Right, yeah, okay. De deforestation, overfishing, soil degradation – that sort of thing. So, so we'll have the energy, which might be carbon neutral, but we'll still be having problems as a result. Yeah. Not perhaps we might sort global warming out, but we'll end up with a barren earth in any event. Yeah, but I mean, if we're that sounds more depressing. We're we're efficiently capturing all of the energy that's coming from the sun. Yes. And using that, that that could possibly fuel a civilization that is much greater than we have now. As, as in bigger? Yeah. Yeah. But what are we going to eat and what are we going to 
sit on and what are we going to wear? And oh, if we, we have gonna... a larger yeah. civil, uh, number right. of people, yeah, yeah. Th- there's a limit in terms of the number of people. Right. Yep. That is sustainable mm. unless we escape the planet, mm. Mm. which is also a possibility. Mm. So, yeah. Because at the moment, again, the problem of escaping the planet is energy. Yes. And so if we have limitless energy, we can possibly go elsewhere and terraform. Mm. One day I'm sure we will. Mm. Anyway, well, that's enough. We've really dragged on now. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Deep philosophy. Yes. Oh, so, so, yeah, that's what we'll do next week. Kickstart on that. In the chat room, good on you. If you feel like contributing to the oh, – I'm going to mention the patrons next week. I better do that. And if you can make it to Noosa this Saturday, get along. That'll be fun. And otherwise, talk to you next week. Bye for now. Good night. That's a good night from him. <laughs>